0: Welcome to the 22nd, I think, the 22nd perhaps um, episode of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters.
1: And I'm Kim Lane.
0: And we are in Hermosa Beach. Woohoo. Yay. We just um, got back today after a month, one month, 30 days, et cetera, et cetera, on the road.
1: Uh, what were we doing on the road?
0: Oh, we were driving very slowly. Yes. No, actually, we were driving exactly the speed limit, but we were stopping frequently as um, elderly folks tend to do.
1: Yeah, we uh, made, made it a, a slow trip, as, as you said, it took us a month to get up north and back home
0: again. <laughs> we went all the way as far north as, oh, Nanaimo, right? Nanaimo, is that how, um, on Vancouver Island? I believe so. And then um, back down um, the Drive up, we stayed on the coastal highway, the drive down, we took the rather grim um, and precarious I-5. Yeah,
1: uh, it's not always grim, but yeah, some parts of it definitely are.
0: So we stopped the last week since, since we last podcasted. We were in Eugene, where we accomplished what was for me a pretty monumental task of cleaning out a storage unit that I've had for 10 years.
1: It was a dusty, dirty affair.
0: So it's funny, you know, last week um, we talked a little bit about the importance of, uh, or not the importance, but questions about what does it mean to own. Own things, right? What does it mean to own things once things are, are digital? And this week, I was sort of confronted with what does it make, what does it mean to own things when own, when things are still physical? Like we still actually haven't done a very good job of figuring out how to manage and be responsible for physical stuff. And so, as we carry all that baggage into the digital realm, I feel as though we're we are going to have a mess on our hands.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think there was like probably six full carloads of stuff, um, truckloads, whatever you want to say, in that storage unit. And um, four of which went to Goodwill, one of which went to the dump, and one came with us. And so thinking of that in terms of, of our digital worlds... Um, coincidentally Amazon Web Services just turned 10 so slightly younger (laughs) than your the storage unit
0: about the same age about the
1: same age relatively close but I feel the same way about um, my digital storage you know sometimes we were talking about that a little bit ago about uh, what's in your Amazon s3 storage and what's in mine and it's um, it's very similar I guess
0: so it was funny, you know, when I, when I finally, like we did leave, um, we did leave some stuff in there and I should say, I should clarify that the stuff in the storage unit was primarily, although not entirely, but the reason that it's taken me 10 years to address it, the, to address the stuff was that a lot of it was artwork from my husband who died, of, who died you know 11 years ago. So there's been a lot of reasons why going back and addressing this stuff was was difficult. And when I signed the signed the form for the storage unit guy, he said, you know, I hope you've learned your lesson in the future if you ever put something in storage for longer than three months and you haven't gone back and taken it out or needed it then you don't actually you don't actually need it and you should let it go but that is an interesting that's an interesting um, time marker when we think about digital stuff and perhaps you know we can say well it's it's not taking up physical space and we're paying, you know, certainly renting a server on Amazon is is somewhat cheaper. Renting storage space on, in the cloud is, is certainly cheaper than renting a storage unit um, in Eugene, Oregon for physical stuff. But certainly, you know, there. I mean, I know for both of us there's stuff in the cloud, right? There's stuff that we've stuck away digitally in storage that we haven't looked at either. And, you know, what, what is what are we doing keeping stuff and what are we leaving for, for our children to have to sort of wade through or just hit delete on?
1: Yeah, well, and I guess... Uh... I mean, this moves into the wider realm of what are other people storing about us and how long are they storing things about us. And, and so it's, it's, it's not just what we store online, I think, directly, like we mentioned with Amazon S3. It's, it's also what do we store online indirectly and then what do other folks, third parties, store online about us as well.
0: Well I mean and I think that that's you know that's this interesting sort of conundrum that we've got ourselves into because we've rationalized we've rationalized the low cost of digital storage by saying that means we can store everything but and you know we might think of well that means we can store everything means we don't actually sort through the photos for example when you, you would you when you used to get photos developed for example, from a trip, say, like, you know, a month-long trip like we've just taken. Perhaps for every roll of film, there were maybe two photos that were worth sticking in a photo album and maybe two photos worth keeping. But with digital, everyone's like, well, you just keep all of it, right? You keep all the photos. Like, there are all the photos, whether they were crooked or blurry or tilted to the side or, you know, they weren't quite the shot you wanted, but you You keep all of that stuff, and so we've rationalized this sort of hoarding more and more stuff um, because we we argue that it's it's so sort of inexpensive and almost sort of immaterial right i mean literally literally immaterial but almost immaterial to sort of do so but but this flip side of it is this penchant for storing everything means that we're also leaving behind a huge data trail for other people to be able to sort of um, you know, uh, sort of analyze our analyze our lives with in a way in which storing physical stuff never quite held that level of detail. There's a certain fascination with you know on television shows. There's the reality TV shows of people sort of pouring through storage units that have gone up for bid. Um, but there's there's really like our whole lives are up for bid when we store this stuff digitally.
1: So that. It gives me an idea for a startup, um,
0: <laughs> no.
1: for, for Dropbox and S3, if you don't pay your bill, what happens? We could do a reality TV show and we could go through it and publish it all and share it all kind of WikiLeaks style.
0: Actually, I mean, I think that that would be an interest. that's an interesting way. You know, I think a lot about how, you know, as you and I do sort of what we call our reclaim work and as we try to Tell, explain to folks the importance of having better management over one's digital data, like really being more thoughtful with what we do with it. Um, recognizing, of course, that you and I might not always be super thoughtful with what we've done with it. We've just stuck it in Amazon and sort of hoped for the best. But, you know, thinking about, like, what happens when the, the future business model for Snapchat or the future business model for Yik, Yik Yak is actually saying... We know we know all of the shitty things that you posted about your peers at college. You need to pay us $5 a month in order to sort of keep that anonymous, right? We know all the naked selfies you sent to your friends. You need to pay us $100 a month to keep those private. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, there's a lot of ways in which we could sort of extrapolate like really shady business models about sort of keeping this stuff, keeping this stuff safe and stored, um, and out of um, sort of the bla- the blackmail of this digital storage that we haven't really thought through.
1: I think it's a big part of it for me is just keeping things within your control to decide whether it stays or go. I mean, I saw you over the course of like two days opting to well that goes to the dump that goes with us you know choosing somewhere like photos journals that type of thing you know and like how do you when how and when do you get to make that decision um it's it's a hard one to make and i think it's one that these digital storage platforms as our photos and journals and everything get digitized, and these platforms like Google and Amazon that are more than willing to go, hey, free storage for all your shit. All your all stuff. All your stuff. Move it over here. We want to help you remember everything. And it's like, you know, do we want to remember everything? How much control do we want to give to someone else to have a backup copy, have duplicates, have mirrors of that and then in, in in the worst case scenarios where we don't even get a say whether it's stored or not.
0: Well, I mean, this is uh, perhaps this is this is TMI for a podcast, but there was a there was a, a plastic storage bin full of journals and diaries and um, sketchbooks. And I I have no I actually have no desire to go through Anthony's journals and diaries and sketchbooks, zero desire Um, I pulled mine out because I would like to dispose of mine properly, set them on fire and make sure that they're gone. But I, but, you know, I didn't want, you know, I don't want, I don't want to have to carry Anthony's stuff like that, private details forward. And yeah, I think about this, you know, like definitely this, this, this couple of days of going through stuff and thinking about, I mean, I've spent a lot of money, to store this stuff and not address it and to address it. And then, you know, sort of think about how do you properly dispose of, dispose of stuff, what's worth keeping. And then now, you know, now too, that we've brought a lot of stuff back with us. I mean, we filled, we filled the the truck to the brim coming home, but you know, what are the, what are the next steps now? Like, you know, how do I digitize photos? Do I then save the photos? What do we do with artwork? You know, saving it for the kid so that he's you know so that I'm just the steward until the kid takes responsibility um but then sort of leaving the kid with responsibility of the stuff, having just dealt last summer with being the kid responsible for going through my dad's stuff and recognizing, man, I don't know i don't I don't know if any of the stuff really matters to me stuff you know so it's like it's this it's this sort of weird almost complete circle that we've come through like talking how, about the importance you know the importance of owning one's or controlling one's own domain I'm wary to use that word owning now but you know having better control of one's digital domain and then thinking about how do we how does that control sort of spin out of our spin out of our own control pretty easily once things are digitized um but then thinking about you know how do we how are we how are we holding on to things for strange reasons that aren't archived for you know for posterity um and then what are we holding on to that's actually perhaps damaging you know what what and I think that this hap- You know, this this is one of the questions. I mean, for me, it's one of the questions why domain of one's own is is important because I think that students get the students have a better say in making some of these decisions. The stuff doesn't actually, the stuff doesn't sort of go down on their record without their say. Um, perhaps that's a segue to the one of the pieces that um, that we read this week about robots and and copyright. You know, but how are we thinking about? ownership of intellectual property, ownership of actual property, once these things become digital. And then also once, be, once there's this whole other layer of metadata, data and metadata, that's not human generated, the way in which we think of art or creative works. So it's not copyrightable in the way in which we have formulated our IP laws, but that is still sort of this, um, this sort of product the sort of data property product that is out of our control right even if we do the creative act right i think again like all of anthony's work all of anthony's art that we did bring back with us but how is the metadata once that stuff gets digitized actually outside of the control of of you know isaiah his his heir
1: i think i mean for me i'm I'm neck deep again in in the intellectual property around algorithms, APIs, um, everything that touches on my world, and and so this article in Slate magazine about copyright law, computers, and robots, and I mean, I the the concept of patents. Um, I struggle with to begin with, but I I I can grasp in a physical world. The concept of it, as soon as it collides with algorithms and, and this digital world, is where, where it really becomes a weird, just chaotic... It just doesn't even make sense how people are, are viewing this stuff. And this bringing it all the way back home to reclaim is... Is I've had lots of conversations with folks when I say have reclaimed conversations like when I use Facebook when I use Twitter and create and generate content that's mine and then they will actually push back and say no actually you did that on Facebook using Facebook's code and algorithms and tools and they built that and you've agreed to the terms of service it's it's more theirs than it is yours and so you know how this is viewed across the spectrum and you know if 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 another if a human actually created it if an algorithm created it um if you know who owns it then who has access to it what does this look like in a world that's totally directed by terms of service and and privacy policies that are in the service of these platforms i think there's um Things are just out of control, and it's just going to get get even crazier because it just doesn't make sense, and it's exponentially growing the number of patents um, that are API related, algorithmic related are just just growing. I I can't even keep track of them.
0: Well, I mean, and I think that, I mean, I think that the 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 legal stuff. I mean, all of these things feel as though, in some ways, we're sort of arguing. Like you and I make a, uh, spend a lot of time sort of arguing for sort of just resolutions in the in the technical spe- sphere, just resolutions in so- socio economic spaces, and which we're sort of not just arguing against sort of tech gone awry or law gone awry, but sort of there are like these larger broader these larger broader things are happening at the same time that sort of undermine the very Sort of like the very soil within, we're expected to grow a, pr- a prosperous future, right? So, like um, Kate Kate Bowles wrote a piece um, this past week that was a response, in some ways, to what Maha um, and I had been writing about and thinking through about these questions of ownership in terms of domains. And you know, I had argued that sort of ownership is this weird, not quite like again, like I don't, I don't know if I want to. Re- I actually. I actually do know. I can't actually hang my hat on an argument around ownership because I have so many questions, as you just said, around property and this notion of this notion of we have a sort of this radically individualized. Um, notion of a sort of capitalist bent of of property and in my piece I talked a little bit about post ownership and how you know Silicon Valley is very invested in us moving to a place in which we own nothing but we subscribe to things and that's the freedom that Silicon Valley has promised us is that you no longer have to be burdened for example, by your dad's record collection because you don't actually own records anymore. You have a subscription to Spotify or a subscription to Apple Music or a subscription to, to Tidal, and you just, you don't own any records any longer, but you have a subscription that gives you access to the music that sort of falls into the music catalog. So that we've moved into this, because of the digital, we've moved into the sort of post-ownership space. But Kate made this really important observation, I thought, which is actually, we aren't even in the, we aren't actually the dominant The sort of the dominant reality on this planet isn't ownership, and it's not even that sort of post-ownership subscription model. It's actually homelessness, right? It's an actual utter and total and complete displacement, and not just in the digital realm. It's not just a matter of we don't have a, a domain of our own online. It's that we have lost... We don't have a domain in the physical space either, that we are adrift as people, as bodies. We are displaced from the land, from the places in which we were raised, from the places in which we thought we would have home, and we are completely unmoored from our roots in place physically and so it's very hard to think about how do we make arguments for a, for sort of a physical for sort of a reclamation in the physical place when the top priority is actually like displacement of refugees physically
1: yeah yeah I don't, and I, one I forget where we were this trip whether it was Eugene or Seattle where I saw the homeless guy kind of kicking back with his stuff on the sidewalk but he was on his cell phone and yeah. i've seen that a lot where i've seen people without you know that are homeless i've seen a few people that were sitting in cars that clearly had all their stuff in the back seat of the cars but they and they were just sitting in the front but they were on their mobile phone and so what is you know what is this this um i don't know it sometimes it seems like the digital can be this this distraction from this, you know, and I mean, it sounds kind of extreme, but you know, what, what Uber and what, you know, the whole gig and sharing economy is doing to people. It's like, you know, I don't actually own my home anymore. I, I, I get it, you know, in the cracks of when I rented out on Airbnb or I don't actually own my car. I have to keep driving um, to make the payments and I don't have a home. I live in my car, you know, just these other variations where um, our you know our our physical realities are being being threatened as you said and and but we we're kind of maintaining this digital cord for so we can keep feeding the machine I guess I don't know
0: yeah no I mean and I think I mean and I think that that's you know that that's this this future that we're um, this sort of future that we seem to be spir- spiraling towards is um, so utterly dystopian that we have. We have sort of traded we have sort of all along the way sort of doubled down on the wrong the wrong bet and sort of traded you know we were we've sort of traded security and physical physical security we've sort of opted out of all of these things in in the sort of fast and loose way in which we find ourselves sort of um utterly utterly insecure in terms of the planet you know I mean there's nothing like you know there's nothing like driving down I-5 and seeing the drought in California knowing that California that the parts of California that we drove through that were so brown and dusty are that's the that's the that's where the food is grown for this country and there's no water you know so thinking about sort of like this really this sort of crisis crisis of physicality crisis of the earth crisis of you know thinking about the 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 native um people in north dakota protecting you know crying out for the protection of their land their sacred land the the burial the burial sites um in order to run pipelines through that are going to sort of destroy you know and poison their you know Poison their land, poison their water, that we sort of we have in some ways sort of made this deal in which as long as we have access to sort of Facebook, as long as sort of we feel as though we can still play games on our phone, as long as we still can um, have the sort of cellular interaction that it somehow mediates, and we don't we don't actually want to recognize the sort of crisis of stuff the crisis of the physical stuff
1: feels almost like uh we're headed more towards star wars than star trek right
0: well that's yeah i mean i i know i i have to say if i had to choose team star wars team steam team star trek i i am much more of a trekkie um I find Star Wars to be troubling the sort of George Lucas vision of Star Wars to me is like pretty grotesque um I'm a huge star I'm a huge star trek fan um but you know fifty years this is the fiftieth anniversary of Star Trek, and I feel the vision of Star trek, which is very which is so deeply grounded in sort of despite the sort of despair i think that the 60s left us with with unfulfilled revolutions and unfulfilled promises of civil rights movements and feminist movements and anti-war movements star trek to me is the of, is a is an interesting vision of a technolo- technological future that is it's it's got it definitely has flaws in, in many many ways but i feel as though we are not even building towards that you know that sort of very benign, made for television vision of of a of a future of of peace and prosperity.
1: Well, I I have to admit that you know, I, I was totally team Star Wars until I started hanging out with you, and you <laughs> in, it, it enlightened me about the Star Trek vision, and I'm now I'm I'm 100% team Star Trek. Um, I mean, you know, partly because you influenced me, but but more so having been immersed in the world of technology lately, like. I don't want I I don't want a Star Wars <laughs> narrative to to craft uh, or to direct where we're headed. Um, I want I want the Star Trek carrot out front, um, for people. I don't and I feel like I don't want I don't want kids coming out of high school to want to be, um, the next, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and and uh, the people you know leading the the Silicon Valley charge. I would, um, I, I hope we can quickly work to come up with a whole new set of heroes that, that are more, you know, more from the Star Trek camp and uh, more of the, you know, thinking about the collective and, and making sure everyone's taken care of versus, I don't know, having fucked up fathers and all the other <laughs>
0: shit. <laughs> well, and individual heroes, right? Like, I mean, and I think that the vision of Gene Roddenberry, and in, and what makes it, I think, so profound is that it was in, you know, created at this moment of such grave crisis. I mean, and it, it certainly feels like we're we're in a place of great crisis again, in terms of um, um, I, our identity as as Americans. But I think that. Star Trek, Star Trek reminded us that I think that, that the future face, like um, this country is a, is a future-facing country. It always has been to, to, de- to its own detriment sometimes, right? Like we don't, we don't pay attention to history. We're always forward-facing. We believe very strongly as Americans in progress. We believe very strongly that science and technology are going to be the vehicles to make things better. And I think that that's a that's a dangerous belief because I think that actually it's po- politics not just science and technology that move us towards a more just a just future. But I think that, you know, the moment in the 1960s where pe- we were sort of mired mired in the mired in war facing, you know, really having to confront you know, confront the the ills of the the foundational ills of this country is that um, Gene Roddenberry remind us reminded us that the future the future could actually be a better place the future wasn't nuclear annihilation right the future the future wasn't war the future was was peace and it wasn't just peace you know the future wasn't sort of the Russian right we were you know it wasn't sort of Cold War it was sort of the future was the like Humans got their shit together, all of us, not just Americans, right you think of what you think of who were on you know on the you know you know the 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 officers of of the enterprise, and they were not american there was there were there was a cosmopolitanism, sort of this global vision that i i think was i think it, i mean it wa- it was actually it was it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, Uhura, for example, I think it's just an incredible role model for thinking about what does it mean to be a black woman and, and on television in a major role, um, uh, and, and not just, um, sort of not just forced to the side, but a, but a major character. So yeah, team, team Star Trek and, um, certainly Star Trek, the next generation, which I spent far too much time, um, in my late teens and early 20s, um, being very contemplative about what it, you know, the, the about Jean-Luc Picard.
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, just from a, a, thinking about how much science fiction has influenced technology and has and does and, and will continue to, and, and then how sometimes we hear uh, technology uh, leaders, sometimes, site uh, really awful awful references from science fiction really dark um, you know pick pick from the matrix to uh, Ender's Game to you know there's a there's a number of references out there but I think we need um and I I hope I can reflect this in some of my fictional writing now that I'm thinking about it and Kind of not just dwell in in the dark and crazy shit that's that I'm seeing happening and unfolding, or or just over the horizon it might be happening, and take some time uh, and and follow follow the Star Trek lead and, and maybe set some good examples.
0: Yeah, and I think that I mean I think that this you know the storytelling that you you and I both spend a lot of time thinking about the stories that we tell about the future right and the the f- stories that we tell about the future and the work that we do right here and now and i think that we find ourselves both of us find ourselves around people that tell i think some really troubling and if not damaging stories about the future more broadly i think the again like you know the us is in sort of this moment of real crisis about storytelling of its of its future uh, as well as 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 well as its past and Um, But, you know, how do we how do we think through and then sort of build through and write through um, um, having having different visions that can sort of steer, you know, steer the ship um, in a different direction or at least be a star when the when the ship does sort of steer towards sort of sort of dangerous, dangerous waters, how can we sort of make sure that we have these stars that we can still steer by and say that we know that we're actually on a really dangerous path because we know that the star, we know that the stars sort of shine in the sky that tell us a way forward that is progressive, politically progressive economically progressive, about racial and social justice. We know that we are steering away from those stars. And like, I think that that's a, that's a matter of... That's definitely a matter of storytelling.
1: And I don't think it's a matter of getting us to a utopia as I see it. I see it as just pointing out that right next to us it might be a better choice than that stupid shit we're deciding to do or or the damaging effects of that that kind of money in investment or maybe that that danger of that type of surveillance technology that hey you know right over there is a little little bit warmer better and 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 safer for our kids than than making that decision and and just getting us to, you know, course correct 1 or 2 degrees I guess is rather than, you know, thinking we're going to we're going to fix everything.
0: Wow, we actually managed to like fill up half an hour talking about um almost none of the the links that you and I thought we would talk about. Good job.
1: Yeah. Well, we touched on a couple of them, but yeah.
0: Well, I I say we wrap it up and then um we watch some Star Trek. All right, sounds good. All right, con.